Welcome to Wednesdays in the Word. This is a recording of our Wednesday morning Bible study held weekly at Chapel Hill and led by our Minister of Education, Casey Spiker. We walk each week verse by verse through the scriptures, one book at a time. If you wish to join us in person, we meet each week at 10 a.m. in our sanctuary. We'd love for you to join us. Now let's open up God's Word together and see what God says to us today. All right, y'all, we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And we're getting started here. We're going to do our best to cover this entire chapter today. That's not how we normally go about things, but that's how we're going to try to go about things today. Uh, chapter 4, uh, you know, there is, a, there is a point where I kind of feel like I'm just telling you the same things every week, right? I'm just telling you that, you know, everything is bad. Everything is bad. Stop doing everything and just focus on God. Today... And you, here's the point. Here's the, here's the thing that you have to remember. Remember that Solomon is writing this book not as he's living it. He's writing this book as he's old and reflecting back on all of the things he's done. And I, I was thinking through that this morning. That, that hit me this morning as I was typing my notes. Because we go from bad, 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 and then he talks about God and how we should focus on God and all things are right with God. And we think, yay, we've turned a corner. And then... The next chapter starts, and it's bad, 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 negative, you shouldn't do this, I tried this and it didn't work, and then he'll hit God again for a minute and tell us about, but y'all, what he's, what he's doing is he's writing, he's reflecting back. He's writing a letter, and he's, he's telling, he's warning his son, he's warning us of all of the things that he's done, and I, 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 this morning it just hit me, I guess he's, he's just coming to these things, he remembers them, and he's writing them down today. Today, chapter 4 is a little bit of a strange chapter, okay, in my mind, because he eventually, he starts off and he talks about oppression. He talks about people who are in charge, people who are placed in positions of leadership, who are taking advantage of the less fortunate. They're taking advantage of the weak. Uh, perhaps, you know, we talked a couple weeks ago about the political state. He's, he's hitting that again. And people that he has put in charge, he's telling the story of seeing these people and how they're mistreating those that are subject to them. They're taking advantage of them. They're, they're benefiting themselves. In today's terms, we might say they're lining their own pockets at the expense of those who are less fortunate. All right, so he jumps from there, and then he starts to talk about work. And we look, we, Scripture is clear. If you're going to work, I mean, if you're going to eat, you've got to work. Work is a thing. Work is something that God has given us, and it's something we should do. And he tells the story of two men, and we're going to really unpack this in just a minute. He tells the story of a man who works and works and works and works and works and has a lot to show for it as far as his product, but as far as his personal life, he has nothing. And then he contrasts that because that's really what Solomon does a lot. He contrasts, he takes one extreme and the other extreme and he tells us the evils of both. And so he then looks at this lazy man. He says he just sits there with his hands folded. And, you know, obviously he doesn't have much positive to say about him either. But now he springboards from this conversation about work and these things that these people are doing. And his, his, uh, his ultimate point is the guy who is skilled and a great worker, and has done all these things, but it's all he ever does, finds himself in a position where he has nobody. He, and specifically, it mentions he has no brother and he has no son, and, and it basically says that there's nobody in his life, which leads him into a springboard 
on something that Solomon actually thinks is positive, and that's friends. That's people in our life that, that are there to encourage us and there to support us. Our, our Sunday school class, our family, our, our spouses, our kids, those people around us that God gives us. And so he's going to go through this, this literary Hebrew thing where he starts with one person alone is bad, two is good, and three is better. And we're going to, we're going to unpack that just, just, just a little bit. But he finishes chapter 4 with this, really he's talking about popularity, if you just want to be honest, popularity. He's going to tell the story of, a, of, an, of an older king who was serving, who, foolish is his word to describe him, right? Basically, he doesn't listen to anybody, so they kick him out and they bring in a new king who's power, young and, and super smart, but he doesn't have any money. Well, he probably does once he becomes king. But eventually they move on to the next king, and basically his whole point in all of that is it's all just useless. It's all just useless. We just keep going from one person to one person to one person to one person, and it's all useless. All right, so there's your general overview. There's your uh, six-minute uh, coverage of chapter four. Now, let's read it, and let's dig into it and go a little deeper here. All right, Ecclesiastes chapter four, starting in verse one, says, Then... I looked again at all the acts of oppression which were being done under the sun. And behold, I saw the tears of the oppressed and that they had no one to comfort them. And on the side of their oppressors was power, but they had no one to comfort them. So I congratulated, listen to this, this is so, this, you just got to listen to this, okay? So I congratulated the dead who are already dead more than the living who are still living. But better off than both of them is the one who has never existed, who has never seen the evil activity that is done under the sun. Is that what you expected to hear this morning? Congratulations to the dead, and even better are those who never lived. That's, that's, that's some good stuff for you. We'll unpack that a little bit. Verse 4, I have seen that every labor and every skill which is done is the result of rivalry between a man and his neighbor. This too is vanity and striving after wind. The fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. One handful of rest is better than two fists full of labor and striving after the wind. Then I looked again at the vanity under the sun, and there was a certain man without a dependent, having neither a son nor a brother, yet there was no end to all his labor. Indeed, his eyes were not satisfied with riches, and he never asked, and for whom am I laboring and depriving myself of pleasure? This too is vanity, and it is a grievous task. Verse 9, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. And a cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. A poor yet wise lad is better than an old and foolish king who no longer knows how to receive instruction. For he has come out of prison to become king, even though he was born poor in his kingdom. I have seen all the living under the sun throng to the side of the second lad who replaces him. There is no end to all the people 
to all who were before them, and even the ones who will come later will not be happy with him, for this too is vanity and striving after the wind. All right, so you hear them there, you hear the four, four little sections of this passage, so let's jump right in, okay? The first one, verses 1 through 3, Solomon speaks on oppression. Solomon speaks on oppression. Now remember, based on all that we can tell, based on everything that we read about King Solomon, we know first of all he was wise. All right, So Scripture is clear that he had wisdom on his side, but most records point to him being fair and just, being a really good king, looking after the welfare of his people, trying to do what was right by everybody, even to the point of appointing all of these people, these, these politicians, these judges, these rulers, to, to help take care of the people of his land, all right? But now what he writes of here is looking back and seeing that some of those people that he had trusted and some of those people that he had put in positions of power were not going about it the right way. And like any leader, you know, he can't guarantee that just because you think somebody's going to be good at something that they're going to be trustworthy and do the right thing all the time. So he writes and he talks about these people being oppressed. He's learning and observing the workings of his kingdom and he notices that there's this oppression going on. And it's basically the powerful, those people with position, those people with prominence, those people that are in charge, are taking advantage of those who are less fortunate. As a matter of fact, it says that the less fortunate, the poor, the, the, maybe, maybe it's even the innocent who are, who are being charged and are going to be proven guilty though they're not, they're crying out, they're shedding tears, they're sad, they're doing everything they can to try to prove their point to no avail. It serves no purpose. These, these oppressors, these rich people, these powerful people, these people of position are, are lording over and taking advantage of these others. You know, we could have a political discussion for sure. What happened thousands and thousands of years ago has not changed one tiny little bit, has it? Right? So we still see these kind of things going on. Now, okay, let's, before, let's, we're going to come back to that in just a minute, okay? We live in a world where unfair things happen. We've talked about this before. I've told you before. I've started at like age one telling my kids things weren't fair, trying to just help them understand if the, the expectation for the rest of their life is at some point something's going to happen to me that it shouldn't have happened, but I, I got no control over it. I can't, I can't undo what it was. And basically all of this, y'all, it left Solomon distraught. He's, he's confused. He doesn't understand. It, it's not what he wanted in place. And so he has some pretty harsh feelings, some pretty strong things to say. The first thing he says is, so I congratulated the dead who are already dead more than the living who are still living. So basically he said, it is better when all of this is going on. He says, I am envious of those people who have already spent their time on earth and have already gone on to be with the Lord because now they don't have to observe this oppression anymore. I mean, that's a hard thing to hear. That's a hard thing probably for him to write. But y'all, that's, that's mild compared to his next statement. He says, as a matter of fact, better than those who are alive and better than those who lived and have already died is the person who never even existed. 
That's how bad it was. That's how awful this situation was that he's writing about. Okay, so he calls it evil. He, he, he calls it what it is. It's terrible. It's bad. These people are mistreating each other. And so, you know, I kind of wondered. He was the king. He was in charge. Why didn't he fix it? There's several answers, I think, several thoughts that I came up with. The first one is, you know, sometimes when you're in the midst of that, decision-making is hard. And sometimes your, your thought process is, well, if I change all of that, many more things are going to be broken than just that. I don't know. Maybe he did. Maybe he's writing back in regret for having not taken more time to try to fix what is going on? I, look, y'all, I don't know. I, that's, that's just simply trying to think through and trying to figure things out. I, I, I honestly, I don't know why he didn't. But I know he didn't. That's, that's the other thought, right? The other thought is people are just people. People are just people, right? Matter of fact, Brother Shannon and I were back there having a conversation a little bit ago talking about tonight. Tonight's going to be just sort of talking through Genesis and walking through Genesis and I mean, so much of Genesis is just, I mean, look, Adam and Eve, he created Adam and Eve, Adam and, Eve and gave them a perfect environment. What'd they do? They sinned. He, he, he wiped out everybody. We get to Noah and his, his, his people, and he wipes out everything, and he gets Noah and his people a fresh start, and what do they do? We're not long into that story. Right after they worship, they get off the boat, they worship the Lord, then we see Noah laid out drunk, naked before everybody. We know there's some kind of encounter there with one of his boys, we don't understand all that. Look, there's, a, there's, there's problems right away. If you've got two people or eight people or seven billion people, you've got corrupt people. That's just kind of the way it rolls. So maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Maybe there was not anything he could do. And now, in, my, in our society, look, we have this. In a political sense, if we're going to talk politics, which I don't want to do, if we're going to talk in a political sense, there's two things, though, that we're instructed to do. We have leaders who are doing the same thing, right? We sit back and watch it. We, we wring our hands. We talk about it. We wonder about it. The news talks about it all the time. The first thing that we're, we're commanded to do in Scripture, if you read in 2 Timothy, is to, to pray for our leaders. As Christians, as believers, our responsibility given to us is to pray for those people that are over us. All the way from pastor in the church, all the way up through city leaders and city councils and mayors and you get into governors and state senates and state representatives all the way up to Washington with that group of wonderful, wonderful people up there, representatives and senators and presidents and vice presidents and lobbyists and all these other things. Your job, my job as believers is to not talk bad about them, which is hard to do, but to pray for them. Pray for them. If you want to write this down, you can go over to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, and you'll see that instruction that is given to us there, okay? But now the other thing, as Americans especially, and the rest of the world, there's places that have this privilege too, is we have the opportunity to vote. We do have some power. We can argue over how much, and whether, how, but every, every vote is important, and you do have an opportunity to affect change in some way by by your privilege, by your right, by your opportunity to go out and vote. In a kingship, sort of here, 
it didn't work that way for everybody, but ours is a little bit different. All right, so oppression, y'all. The pre- this, this, this is this is bad, and, and Solomon speaks against it. The second passage, verses four through seven, we get into this. Uh, this I wrote down. Solomon speaks on busyness. Okay, so we see here that he starts off. I've seen that every labor and every skill which is done. Okay, so there's nothing wrong with labor. There's nothing wrong with skill. But he says every labor and every skill that is done is the result of rivalry between a man and his neighbor. All right? You ever heard the expression, and I feel sorry for these poor people, keeping up with the Joneses? Y'all ever heard that? Got to keep up with the Joneses. I don't know who the Joneses were. Somewhere along the way, the Joneses must have been really rich and everybody was jealous of them. Wherever those Joneses are, they had this whole expression named after them, right? So basically what he's saying here is our skill, our, our work, to, a, to an extent, has been used not just to, to get by, not just to be content, not just to have enough, but we work and we work and we work and we work and we work, and then go, go work some more, right? Because we're trying to impress, we're trying to keep up with those around us. He calls it rivalry, right? Okay, so I, I, Dave, Dave Ramsey has, has an expression talking about cars. He, he's, if you're familiar with Dave Ramsey at all, Dave Ramsey thinks you should be driving a $1,000 car all the time and you should pay cash for it and it doesn't matter if it just barely runs, if it'll get you from point A to point B, life is good. That's all you have to worry about. And his thing is, if you're out driving, what now, cars, $60,000, $80,000 for a car, right? Most of y'all probably didn't pay that for your first house. Or for a car, he says, you're sitting at a red light and you're driving this car that you can't afford to impress people that you don't even know. Okay? So now, that helps us understand a little bit better this concept of, of this rivalry. I've seen that every labor and every skill which is done is the result of rivalry between a man and his neighbor. It's that I have to have more than you. I got to have a bigger house. I got to have nicer furniture. If you got a 58 inch TV, I got to have a 70. And if you got an 80 inch TV, then I got to go buy a 100. And if you got a Honda, I got to have a Mercedes. And if you eat uh, spam, I got to eat steak, right? Rivalry. Once you catch up with them, you want to one-up them. Um, I mean, but here's the thing. The purpose of work is not to embarrass those people around us. It's not to have more. My, my, I don't work so that I have more money and a nicer house than you. That's not, that should not ever be our goal. But he talks of a man here that that's his life, Okay. So, he, 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 uh, he, he says this about it. There's two things that he says about it, right? They're envied by those around him, but he says also that this is a striving after the wind. This is just meaningless. It just serves no purpose to live your life that way. Solomon's point is that the hands can be incredibly skillful. Listen to this. But if the heart is out of line, what good is it? You can make and you can create, you can work, and look, you probably have known people like this somewhere along the way that have neglected their, their, their home life, they've neglected their family life, they've neglected because they just they always got to be working and always got to be scheming and always got to be trying to do something to make more. 
And it, it doesn't matter what you do with your hands. If your heart is out of line, it is of no eternal use. No point in what they were doing other than to make money. So now, he gets to verse 5, right? And it says that he, he observes also the man who chooses to do nothing. And look, we have those in our society today as well. He said in verse 5, the fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. Folded hands is laziness. It is just, I mean, you can envision it, right? Sitting back, kicked back in a chair, no incentive, no desire to work, living off of what they already have and living off of others because that's the only way they can get by. Now look, you and I both know people that don't work and some of them are disabled and have disabilities and things that keep them from working, and that's, there's no shame in that whatsoever, okay? Uh, but, y'all, we're supposed to do something. We're supposed to earn our keep, for lack of a better term. Not, at, not in terms of earning our relationship with God, but God's plan is for us to work. Okay, so this man, this, this person, five, the fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh, He's against that too. So again, he's going from one extreme, the man who only works all the time, never stops, to the, to the one who does nothing. Okay, now listen to this. Verse, verse 6. One handful of rest is better than two fists full of labor and striving after the wind. So, and that verse, verse 6, basically says to me, hey, sometimes you just got to stop and smell the roses, right? Better, better work and have one handful of of gain and one handful of accomplishment and one handful of success, but also one handful of, hey, you don't have to be doing that all the time. He says one handful of rest. Rest is a lot of different things, man. It's, it's stopping and spending time with your family. It's going to the ball game. It's going out to eat. It's, it's sitting around and watching TV. It's, it's all of those things enjoying the, the time and the relationships that God has given us instead of forsaking them and abandoning them. His, his, his desire, when he says for us to work, was never to work all the time. Matter of fact, he, God's pretty clear that at times we're supposed to rest. We're supposed to do that, okay? So now, in verse 6, verse 6, he says, one handful of rest. Basically here, he's describing a balanced worker. And I, and I, and I just wrote this down in my notes this morning. Quiet workers, meaning they're not boastful, are prideful, they've completed enough work to make ends meet, they're successful in the, in the eyes of the world, but they're even more successful because they have time to go home and spend time with the people that God has blessed them with. And look, I'm going to be honest with you. I can't imagine, I don't know what good it would do to have a successful career and not be able to share it. I don't know what good it would, this is just me talking. I don't, know, I don't know how in the world I could have, and look, God has blessed my life. God has blessed my family. God has provided and taken care of me in ways more abundant than I could have ever hoped for. But if I couldn't go home and share it with those three lovely people that live in my home, what, what good would it be? What good would it be? And he says, oh, sometimes you just got to, Sometimes you got to rest. Sometimes you got to enjoy. Sometimes you got to stop. Because if all you do is this, and all you do is work, and all you do is make money, and all you're doing is this, and you don't have anybody to share it with, it's vanity. It's, it's, 
chasing after the wind, he says, and it serves no purpose. And the interesting thing now, he gets into verses 7 and verses 8, and he starts to transition into how our life should look. So he talks about the value of friends. And Solomon continues his talk about this worker, uh, and he begins the shift to talking about friends and other important people in your life. The next vanity that he saw in verse uh, 8, he said, there was a certain man without a dependent, having neither a son nor a brother, yet there was no end to all his labor. Indeed, his eyes were not satisfied with riches, right? Because at some point it doesn't matter how much you have, because you're always wanting more. You're not satisfied. You're not content. There always has to be more. He was not satisfied with the riches, and he never asked, listen to this, and for whom am I laboring and depriving myself of pleasure? Again, I say, I say what I just said, right? The, the beauty of what God has done in my life is I get to share it. The beauty of what God has done in your life is you have had the opportunity and still have the opportunity to share it with those closest to you. He's talking about a well-rounded person. He's talking about a person who, who, who has stopped to smell the roses. He's talking about a person who enjoys not just the work, but the rest and the, the enjoyment of life because God wants us to have all of those things. An abundant life that Jesus talks about in the New Testament is not, a, is not a life where you spend all day at work and then stay at work late and you get up early and go to work and then you go back to work the next day and you never have time for anything else. That's not the abundant life that Jesus is talking about in the New Testament. Jesus said He came that you would have life. Also, not just eternal life, but abundant life here. And in order to do that, we have to take time to spend with the people that God has placed in our lives around us. And look, I know this, this can be a, a, sensitive, a sensitive topic in this room. I'm, I'm talking about my wife, and I know some of you are at different stages of life. Your, your spouse has, has gone on, and, and, but you still have people. You still have relationships. You still have family. You still have friends. You still have someone that you can share that life with. Okay, so now, continuing on talking about friends, he gets into um, verse nine, and look, this is where this is interesting because he he starts off talking about the man that's by himself, and he says that's vanity, that's useless. So now, look in verse nine, he starts to shift, and he says two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Okay, so now here are some benefits, right, that Solomon lists to friendship or companionship. The first one I just read, two have a good reward for their labor. Look, two people can do more work, two people can earn more money, two people can work together hard. There's more benefit for two than there is for one loner who says, I always have to do this and I only have to do it by myself. The second thing he says, and this is important, if there's two, if one falls or has issues, the other is there to pick him up, right? That's verse, um, not verse 10. For if either one of them falls, the one will lift up his companion, but woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. The third thing he says, if two lie down together, they will keep each other warm. All right, so 
In, in my context, in my mind, I immediately went to, okay, I, this is going to be too much information. I'm going to share it with you. Jennifer and I are snugglers. Okay? Y'all didn't ask for that. I know that was completely for free, and some of you are going, why on God's earth is he telling us that now? Because that is the coldest woman I have ever met in my life. And it doesn't matter if it's summertime and 300 degrees outside, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna lay down at night and she's going to be freezing. So we spend, we spend I mean, we, I, we wake up in the middle of the night. And, you know, there, there are those couples who have a king-sized bed and they want to be as far away from each other as they can so they can sleep. Some of y'all are going, I know, that's us. Not us. We could sleep on a full-size bed. Heck, we could probably spend some nights on a twin-size bed and be perfectly fine, okay, to keep her warm. When I read this, that's the first thing that I thought of. Sorry, again, I know maybe I overshared. I apologize. Uh, somebody's going to be listening to this driving down the road on the podcast later, and they'll go, I didn't need to know that. It's fine. It's fine. We're married. God gave us to one another to keep each other warm. It's fine, okay? All right, the next thing he says, if there's a confrontation, if there's a confrontation, all right, so he gets into verse 12, and if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. You know, we went to Gatlinburg last week with last weekend with the youth. We tend to come home early, but when we sent them off by themselves, we didn't send them off by themselves, right? That's, they went off, they had to be with an adult. Why? One kid by themselves, one teenage girl, one teenage boy wandering off like a lost sheep. The, one, the 99 are over here and the ones over there is prey. And y'all know there's lots of bad things happening in the world, right? But when we send them off with an adult, we send them off in groups of three and four, they are less likely to be prey, right? So he says here, right? So uh, verse 12, if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. Now watch what he did there. Don't miss this. He started with one, and he basically says one by himself is vanity. He then talked about the benefits of two, and he gave you four things specifically that when two are together, two is better than one, right? And then eventually he moved on. Now, this is a, this is a Hebrew literary thing, right? He went from one, he went from two, now he's at three. And basically what's he telling you? The more people you have in your life, the more people that you stop to enjoy the relationships that God has given you, the better off you're going to be. He says a cord of three strands. And y'all, 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 can, y'all can imagine that entwined. You, you can break one. You put two together, it's a little harder. You're going to have to work harder to break it. You tie three things together and start trying to pull it. And it, it's going to be virtually impossible to come apart unless you're just you know Arnold Schwarzenegger or something, right? Okay? So he's basically telling you, I'm giving you people in your life. The short answer is easy, y'all. We need people. We need relationships. We were not intended to live alone. We were not intended to live in isolation. If that was the case, God in the book of Genesis would have created Adam and he'd have been perfectly fine right by himself. But that's not what happened, is it? If, if we were intended to be alone, when God made Noah build that ark, he would have put Noah on that boat and everybody else would have been fine. Or he sent one of each animal onto that boat. That's not how it works. We're not intended to be alone. We're not intended to be alone. And again, y'all, look, I, I, I completely understand. I know some of you, you live alone and you have, you're not alone. Okay? You're not alone. First, you have God and, and the Holy Spirit with you all the time. 
But if nothing else, you got the people in here, right? God has given us people, and we're not intended to try to operate our life by ourselves. And the interesting thing is to me that the, the fascinating thing about this, this little passage right here in the middle of this, so much of the book of Ecclesiastes is written and it almost is depressing. It's just negative and it's don't do this, 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 don't do this. And there's two things in here he says so far that we've covered, right? He says these are good. The first one he says a relationship with God. Quit looking at all these things and focus on God. But now he's focused on a positive in the middle of chapter 4 and it says God has given you people. You need people. You were not intended to, to operate in isolation. You were intended to operate in relationship. First with God, second with one another. That was God's plan. That was God's plan. And look, we know God's plan is perfect. God's plan is not a mistake, right? Now, the last little passage here. Verses 13 through 16. I'm just going to read, read the passage again and then I'll read you the three or four little things that I wrote down in the notes about it. Because it's just... In the English literary terms, there's a term called stream of consciousness. Where the writing is, there's not pattern, there's not points. You just sort of go and this comes out and then the next thing you think about is just what goes on the paper. That's kind of how I talk and how I write. Um, Max Lucado, to an extent, if you've read some of his stuff, he just kind of, there's just he just writes and talks and stuff comes out, but it all makes sense. Stream of consciousness is this. So this chapter to me very much is that. I'm just going to just write down some stuff and whatever comes out on the page is going to be what's on the page. So he gets to the end, verse 13, and he says this, okay? A poor yet wise lad is better than an old and foolish king who no longer knows how to receive instruction. All right? So based on... Based on uh, the writings in, in the book of Proverbs, some of Solomon's other things that he has written, specifically verse twelve in, in uh, chapter 12, verse 15 in Proverbs, the king is foolish because he won't listen to counsel. Right? He's, he's, don't miss this, he's operating in isolation. He's making all the decisions. He's not asking for opinions. He's not asking for help. He's making these decisions, and Solomon has just basically said, don't miss that it happens right after you need friends, right? It happens right after that, okay? So now, a poor, yet, uh, uh, a poor yet wise lad is better than an old and foolish king. Poor yet wise lad, okay, is this young guy who's come in, he's, he's, he's smart as a whip, but you know, maybe his upbringing wasn't the best. But he's willing to listen. He's willing to take on these things. Okay, now, verse 14. For he has come out of prison to become king, even though he was born poor in his kingdom. So we've read two verses, verse 13, verse 14. So far, we've had two kings, right? All right, so even though he was born. Verse 15. I have seen all the living under the sun thronged to the side of the second lad who replaces him. In other words, they abandoned the first guy. And they all flocked, the word throng there, they all flocked to the new guy and gave all their love, all their affection, all their adoration to this new guy because he was the new it guy on the block to run things, okay? But now, don't miss this. Verse 16, there's no end to all the people. In other words, there's no end to this line of succession. To all who were before them, 
and even the ones who will come later. In other words, guess what? Those, those two kings aren't going to be the last one. There's going to be more. There's going to be other kings after them. And even the ones who will come later will not be happy with him, for this too is vanity and striving after the wind. All right, so look. I'm going to be done a little early today. Here is my summation for all of this. First of all, at the end of this chapter, Solomon points out that there, there will continue to be this line of kings and leaders. And you look, you, you, you've seen it, experienced it. You've watched people climb the ladder and get to the top, and you've seen them fall off that throne. And look, I'm going to give a really personal account for you guys. A month ago, Nick Saban was the greatest thing that had ever happened to Alabama football. And then one day he quit. He retired. God bless him. Go off. And as an Auburn fan, I'm super excited. But I have watched, and you may not believe me, but I have watched people on Twitter, I've watched people on message boards bash, who's probably the greatest coach in the history of college football, bash him, destroy him, Blame him for everything that's happened since he left. And if you want to understand truly how it works, the greatest football coach that ever lived was replaced within, 30, within 48 hours. If anything makes the point that Solomon is trying to make here, that makes it. The greatest coach who's ever walked the sideline in the history of college football, and y'all, it hurts my feelings to say that. Y'all know that. But it's true, I can't deny it, okay? Was replaced within 48 hours and then by a certain population, not you people, y'all don't feel that way, but by a certain population of the fan base has just been absolutely trashed and destroyed for leaving and going off and doing something else. That's the society we live in. That is the culture that we live in. Maybe, maybe worse today than ever before, I don't know. Um, Y'all, it's popularity fades. Popularity fades. Power fades. Accomplishment fades. And the only thing that I heard him really talk positively about in this chapter, finding those people around you and just, just clinging to them. We don't talk about God in this chapter, or else I'd say that was the most important thing. It is the most important thing. But from this chapter... The most important thing that Solomon tells us is quit chasing the world. Quit chasing the popularity. Quit chasing all the other things and just be content to, to, to soak in that circle of friends. Soak in that circle of acquaintances because they're what's going to get you through. And look, I'll go back to this. Some of you, some of, all of us have been through difficult storms in life. And I think through those times when I've struggled the most, and I think through the people who pushed me, who, who encouraged me, who, who prodded me along. I think through now when, when, when God does something great in my life and I feel a sense of accomplishment because of what He's allowed to take place, I rejoice in the fact that I get to share that. It's in this room at Christmas. I was incredibly proud of what the, what the worship team did. And I got to share that. I didn't go home and, and celebrate by myself. I, I rewarded and rejoiced with those people who took part in it. 
was thankful for their participation. Man, we, Jennifer and I had a conversation about our kids last night. And, you know, we're, we're just, we, we feel like we're the most blessed parents in the world because our kids have gone about it the right way to this point. I'm sure at some point something's going to happen and it's going to be, wow. Uh, but to this point, I mean, we really have missed, we've really dodged the bullet with those things. I get to rejoice in that with her and with them. Uh, we, don't, we don't just talk about how great they are behind their back and they don't ever know about it. We, 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 we rejoice in that with them. The only thing positive that, that Solomon talks about in this chapter is just rejoicing with those that he's put into our life, that God has put into our life and celebrating with them. Everything else he talked about in here, popularity, job, money, useless. Useless. That is what Solomon is trying to tell us. Week after week after week after week. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed listening to what God had to say to us. If you have any questions about today's Bible study, you can call our church office at 205-339-4071, and we will be glad to answer any questions you might have. God bless you, and we hope to see you again next week.